Good morning. What a great song. Have we trials and temptations? Of course we do. Of course we do. He said we would. Didn't he? Call on me in the day of trouble. That sounds like a trouble to me, a trial to me. But what did he promise there? Call on me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. Amen? Amen. What a great thing it is to be able to talk to you about such a wonderful gift that God left us and gave us, and that's the gift of prayer. What I want to talk to you this morning about is a, uh, well, maybe you can think a little bit, have you little interactive thoughts here. Why don't you stop right now, quit fanning yourself, just stop for a moment. Is there something that you've been praying for, for a long, long time? time and you're still praying for it and God has not yet answered that I want you to think on that right now have you at times thought about giving up well God I've been asking you but I've been asking for a long time and I don't see any results yet maybe you're just not going to answer this one well I've been there. Choir, have I been there? I've been there. I've told them before, I need your help praying about something because I just don't know what to pray anymore. The title of my sermon is Don't Give Up. Don't Give Up. Now, take you to Luke 18. Let's go to Luke 18, verse 1. And I want to set this up a little bit before I read it. That Christ is going to say in this passage, I'll read the first verse. Now he was telling them a parable to show them that all times, at all times, do you know what all means? All. All times. You ought to pray and not to lose heart or not to faint or not to give up. Don't give up, he's telling them. Now, it's interesting, if you go back and look at chapter 17, you know that when Luke wrote this, there were no chapter breaks like you see today. He didn't have, he just wrote a long letter. And so they broke it up into chapters so that we would know how to look it up and, and how to work with it a little bit easier. But he come right out of 17, and it's very interesting. He brings up Noah and the flood, and he brings up, Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Christ is talking about that. It's very interesting to me that what was going on in those two places was these things. Let me read just real quick here. Just as it was in the days, this is verse 26 of chapter 17. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking, and marrying, and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. They were having horrible times. No, they were having great times. They were loving life. They were just enjoying it so much that they forgot who God was. All right. So then we go on to Lot. Because he says, and Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying, selling, planting, building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, 
fire and sulfur rained from the heaven and destroyed them all. They weren't facing bad economic times. They were having a good time. They were buying the bigger house. They were building the next bigger house. That one's not big enough. Let's build another house. That car's not good enough. Let me get another car. So much so that they forgot God in the process. So there's a danger here. It's interesting that God, that Christ comes right out of those two thoughts and says, now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. You know, one of the times that you should pray the most is when things are going the best. We have a tendency when things are going really good for us, God, I got this. You know, when my bills are all being paid, the kids are healthy, my mom and dad, are, everything's going well for me, that's the time that I need to concentrate the most and always be praying. Because, boy, there's some independence that takes place. So that's what leads us into this passage. There were good times, and then there was suffering that came. They needed prayer in both things. You know what happened was, they were having such good times, they weren't showing up for the prayer meetings that they needed to be at. They weren't showing up to the Tuesday night Bible study that they needed to be at so they could find out what God intended them to be. Because they're just too busy. But when the storm came, they weren't prepared. I have said for years, I would like to pray enough to God that when troubles do come, my voice is very recognizable to him. Let's get into the passage. That's just a setup. That's to show you why we're here. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart or not give up, saying in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect men, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge said? Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Wow. So he tells this parable that you ought to always be praying and never give up. And he uses this little widow woman. Now look, at in this Bible time when Christ is telling this, a little widow woman, especially in the Eastern religion and in that culture, she had no rights. She's a widow. Her husband has died. That's what made her a widow, right? We all know that. So there's a good chance that in her marriage, she had land, she had a house, she had all of the comforts of life, probably. But when her husband died, all of that's up for grabs. It's very difficult for a woman to own land without a husband or without a brother or without some kinsman of some sort to help her. In this scenario, she's by herself. It's just her. 
And somebody, she's got an adversary somewhere. And they're doing her wrong. They're either trying to take her property from her or they're taking the money that she needs. Something's going on. We're not even sure what. We just know there's an injustice that's taking place. And she goes, you know what? I got to go to the judge. I got to go get a ruling that will protect me. I need protection. I need justice. So she starts to go to the judge. Look at his response. And first of all, let's look at his character. Uh, or lack thereof, we might say. It says, I want legal protection from my opponent. But who's the judge? He did not fear God, and he did not respect man. Let me tell you something. I, whatever you're going to a judge for, if you have to go to a court in this country, even if it's for a speeding ticket, and you've got a judge in front of you who doesn't fear God, which probably a lot of ours don't, but if he doesn't respect even what man thinks, I would tell you good luck. You better do a lot of praying before you go before that judge. Because if he doesn't care about what, and in this particular circumstance, the judges back then, in this Bible time, they were bought and paid for all the time. Right? So if you needed something, you needed a ruling to go your favor, you would just give the judge some money, and then he would rule in your favor. Unfortunately, this little widow woman doesn't have anything she can give him. So she's really without cause. She has no reason. And she's going to a man that doesn't give a, he just doesn't care about her. So she goes to him and says, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while, he was unwilling. I get a picture of this. The judges, he wasn't a judge in just one little town. He went from town to town and ruled on things. I get a picture of her following him around and continuing to go back to him. Because it says for a while, he was unwilling. What does that mean? One time? A while usually has an indication that it's over a period of time. She, she kept going to him. He just kept denying her. Nope, not willing to help you. Get away. You don't even belong here. Go. Get out of my sight. But I also get this picture that by the time he reached about the fourth or fifth town, he's walking down the street, and he looks, and here she's coming. And, um, you know, we've all had people like that in our lives. You see them at the grocery store, and you go the other way. Oh, you're laughing because you know it's true. Every one of you has done it. I don't have time. They're going to get, that's Larry Howard. He's going to want to talk to me for 35 minutes. I got to get something. <laughs> Doesn't he know I got ice cream in the cart? It's going to melt. All right, but we do that. So I'm imagining he was just sick and tired of seeing this woman in front of him. And she's, she's being not really quiet about her issue, I don't think. I think she's saying, this guy's done me wrong. I need help. She's crying out to the judge. I need help. And he's like, get away from me. Well, after you do that for a while, people around start to hear what's going on. Even though he doesn't fear men, it's starting to make him look bad, I believe. But afterward, he said to himself, this is verse 4, even though I do not fear God nor respect men, yet because the widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Oh. Now, how many of you have had your children want something 
And it's not a bad thing necessarily. It's, it's an okay thing that they want to do, but you just don't want to take the time to go do that with them or whatever. And they just keep coming. And when they're little, Papa, my, my grandson, Papa, the ice cream man, Papa, the ice cream man, Papa. Okay, what do you want? Here, here. Right? And I'm glad to do it. Now, he didn't want to do it. But because she was wearing me out, all right, it's interesting when I looked at this, uh, the Greek terminology on this, and I'm not a real Greek scholar, but what I was looking at, it, it defined it kind of like this. She kept poking him in the eye. That's how bothersome she was. She had bothered him to the point where you can imagine. You know how you just get a little something in your eye, it bugs you. That's kind of how she was being toward him. And so he says, you know what? I'm just going to grant what she wants. I'm sick and tired of this. She's bugging me. Okay, okay, just get away from me. It's done. So that's one side of the story. You got a little widow who has no rights, who goes to an unjust judge and keeps at him until she gets what she wants. Now this parable is a parable in contrast, and right here is where the contrast takes place. And this is Christ. Hear what the unrighteous judge said, and what did he say? By continually coming after me, she's wearing me out. I'm going to give her what she, grant, what she wants. I'm going to give her justice. Okay? Now, and, and here's an interesting thing. It says that he didn't fear God and that he didn't fear men. And then what does Christ call him? He's an unrighteous judge. That's even a better definition. Christ bundled the two together and said, he just was not a good guy. There was nothing good about this judge at all. But she wore him out, so he finally gave. All right? Now, verse 7, now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So very positively, very positively, if you're one of God's elect, you're one of his children, just the, um, just the idea of the word elect, that means I didn't choose him, but he chose me. Now, he chose me, and if I understand Scripture right, he foreknew me, he predestined me, he knew all that I would need. He would know all that you need when he decided to elect you. So when he elected me and I became saved, I got all the rights of the kid of the king. You got all the rights as a child of the king. So he expects you to come to him. He's the righteous judge who elected you. And he's saying, Christ is saying, will he not bring about justice? And will he not do it quickly? Now, that's why I ask you to close your eyes for a moment there and think about something that you've prayed for for a long, long time. Because our perception of quickly and God's perception of quickly are two different things. And he says, and he will not delay long over them. Well, what does that mean, long? I, when God measures time, it's different than how I measure it, completely. And you too. You can't tell me how God measures time necessarily. 
He's given us a way to measure time, and that's how we do it. But I don't know that God even has a timeline. I mean, he's, everything's kind of in the here and now to him. But it says he won't delay. You right now go, well, he's been delaying on me. I've been asking for this thing forever. I'll say it this way to you. Delay does not equal denial. Him, you know what? Have you ever prayed and asked Christ to come back? Aren't you supposed to be looking for him to come back? Yes, you are. So you're praying, Lord, come quickly. How many of you have prayed that? I've prayed that before. Now, he didn't answer that prayer, did he? Because he hadn't come back. There's a reason he hasn't come back yet. It's because maybe when I prayed that, you weren't quite saved yet. He is not done yet. The circumstances that he puts us in that we pray for an answer for sometimes, God says, no, no, I have you in that spot to develop character in you too, so that you will learn, so that you can mature in faith. But you keep asking. You keep going to him. Don't give up. Don't give up. You've got to be like the little widow woman who went to the unjust judge and just kept asking. Because there's a promise that he will give you justice. He won't delay. He will come. Daniel, I think it was, prayed for 21 days for something. 21 days he prayed. Every day, boom. The man of God, a prophet. A guy that God talks directly to. He's praying and saying, hey, I need this, I need this, I need this. It's very interesting when you study that. The first time he prayed, God just sent Michael the angel to go and answer the prayer. It just took some time. There was a spiritual battle going on between the archangel Michael and the principalities. And that had to take place before the prayer answer came. But guess what? Daniel prayed every day. He just kept praying. He kept asking. He just didn't know the answer had already been sent. I'm going to tell you something. Whatever you're praying for today, the answer is already on its way. It's already on its way. It's coming to you. Now then, this is an obvious contrast. I want to just kind of run through. There's like nine things that I see here um, that show the contrast. So let me do that. The difference between the widow going to an unjust judge and you going to a righteous heavenly father. A just judge. Here we go. The widow was a stranger to the judge. She didn't know him, and he didn't know her. Total strangers. Which makes it even harder to grant them something sometimes. You don't know who they are. But God's praying people are his own elect, whom he knows and loves, whom he delights in and has given his son for. You're going to God the Father and asking, knowing that he gave his son for you, which gives you the right to go and ask him. Huh? That's pretty incredible, isn't it? I'm in need of something, and the very blood of Jesus Christ that has clothed me in righteousness now gives me the right to go and ask my father for something. So he knows me. He knows you. She, the widow, was alone. The praying people of God are many and can come together agreeing in what they need. And he said that when you come together and agree with what we need in accordance to his will, that he would grant it. Huh? 
You've heard these verses, I hope. She bothered the judge by her presence. She bugged him. She wore him out. She poked him in the eye. Our Father bids us come boldly and teaches us to cry. What's he teach us to cry? Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. She came to an unjust judge. We come to a righteous Lord who especially cares to comfort those in distress. Matter of fact, he said he's the God of all comfort. Call on him in the day of trouble. Call on him when you're in distress. He has promises to show up, and he promises to deliver. He, she went purely on her own account. She went for herself and all that she needed. Our God promised to engage himself in the cause we are pleading. Arise, O God, and defend your own cause. He gets involved. He becomes the deliverer from the problem. So even if he uses other means, it's him that's the deliverer. She had no friend to speak for her, no advocate, no one to talk, no, no attorney, no lawyer to speak to the judge. She had to go all on her own. No training on how to talk to a judge. And some of you today might be sitting here thinking, I'm not sure how to pray. I'm not sure how to get there. Well, let me tell you something. You have an advocate with the Father. You've got someone to represent you there. And it's his own son. And he's there representing you right now. As you put a request up, he's ever interceding on your behalf. He's talking right to the Father. Lord, would you save my grandkids? Jesus is right there, Father. Here's one of our children down here. Here's one of your children down here who's asking for something that's well within your will. Huh? Now, you think I'm going to give up? Uh-uh. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm going to pray for my grandkids till I got no more breath. If you let me know about your kids, I'll pray for them with you. We'll pray for them. There's people in choir that I know their kids' struggles. I know their parents' struggles. We pray for them. We keep bringing it to him. We don't give up. She had no encouragement to ask for help. There was no one to say, yeah, go ahead and ask. You need to ask. Yeah, you just go ahead. No, no. It was all on her own. All by herself. We have the promise. We have the promise that whatever we ask shall be given. Well, that ought to encourage you right there. I'm going to do a whole lot more asking. I'm going to try and line myself up with God's will, and I'm going to ask. And when I'm lined up with his will, you know what happens when you line up with his will? You quit asking for things that don't make sense anymore. A whole lot more of your prayers are going to get answered when you line yourself up with him. She could speak to the judge only at certain times. Only when she could get to him. Only when she could, because you know, he's hiding from her. I'm, almost, I'm telling you, he is pushing his cart down the other aisle. He doesn't want to be with her. All right? So she, he's trying to stay away from her. So she could only get to him at certain times. Our father, the one we go to, <laughs> we can go to him any time, day or night. Morning, evening, noon, it doesn't matter. When you want to talk to him, 
He wants to listen. Doesn't he say that? Call on me and I'll hear you. It reminds me a little bit of my wife who had a sensitivity that was unbelievable when we had babies in the house, even with my granddaughter. And my wife has had a, an injury where she lost part of her hearing. She can still hear things that I'm like, I can't hear a thing right now, but she can hear a child. She can hear if one of them is crying. She can tell. I'm like, that's how the father is. He's ever listening for you. Always listening for you. And you can go anytime, day or night, any hour. I told first service, I said, have you ever been woke up in the middle of the night? Three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning, and you wake up, and someone that you've been praying for is in your mind. I wake up and my daughter's in my head. I wake up and my son's there. My wife is there. What do I do, roll over and go back to sleep? No, I call on him. I call on him, God, what is it? What is it they need? Sometimes I don't know what they need. What is it they need? Can you watch over their health? Can you save my grandkids? I start walking through some stuff. I'm, even in the middle of the night, don't give up. Don't give up. She had to, to fear the provoking of the judge in her persistence. I call her tenacious. This is Miss Tenacious. I don't know, Tenacious Terry or whatever you want to call her. She was tenacious. I'm just wondering, is there anybody out here that's tenacious like that? That's why he has to encourage us. That's why he tells us this. He knows it'll be easy to faint. So she had to fear provoking the judge by her importunity or her persistence. We are assured that our persistence pleases God. I think sometimes God doesn't answer us the first time because he wants to hear us again. Or the second or third or whatever, how many times it's been. He's like, oh, do you want it? Really? Maybe you'll come back and ask again. When it's important to you, you'll go back. And you'll keep going back. And he's hearing you. He hears you. We are assured that our perseverance pleases God. The prayer of the upright is his delight. Faithful and fervent prayer doesn't get you anywhere. No, no, no. Avails much. Much. What stops us from praying? What stops us from, or what, what makes us give up? Obstructions in our lives. Things aren't going as good as we wish they were. Well, Lord, you know, I've been praying to you and things aren't going good. So give up? That's the time to keep on. Or everything's good. I don't really have to pray. You ever have them say, hey, uh, you're in a circle, going to pray, pray for the person on your right, and they come to you and you go, man, I, I don't really know what to pray about right here. I, everything's going so good. I've, I've been there before where you go, I don't really have half the things that you guys are talking about. I'm not having that. So, but you can always find something to ask God for for yourself. Always. You must persevere in prayer. Perseverance, as I understand it, Christians, true children of God, persevere. We persevere. We continue. So even in this asking process, keep going. 
don't give up. Keep asking him. Now there's, in verse 8, because he promises, he promises in, in verse 8 there, the first part of it, I tell you that he, God, will bring about justice for you quickly. Then he says this, though, 8b, which will break your heart if you think about it. This is the son talking. He says, however, when the son of man comes, will he be able to find anybody with faith on the earth? Anybody praying and believing that God can do it? Anybody waiting for him when he returns? Do you believe he's coming back? Will he be able to find someone that says, I know he's going to return. I believe he's coming back. I believe he can answer my prayers. Man, I wish he would come back at 714. He'd have a whole church praying at that time, right? Can you imagine praying there, God, please meet our needs. Boom, you're in his presence. Oh, my goodness. That would be exciting. That would be fun. Because what he does there, it's sort of a, kind of a little bit of a, for me it was like a surprise ending to the whole thing. Tell me all these truths about not what happens when you persevere, when you keep praying, what happens. And then at the very end he says, but will I find anyone with faith when I return? It takes the thing, just gives it a twist. And I'm like, wow. It ties to me, prayer and perseverance are just tied together like that. So I'm persevering. When's the last time you're praying? How long have you been praying for that neighbor who doesn't want anything to do with your family because you're a bunch of Jesus freaks to him? There might be coming a day when you keep praying for him that he knocks on your door and says, my wife has just been diagnosed with cancer. And I know that you believe in a higher power. Is there anything you can do for me? Well, you know, it might be really nice if you've been praying for him when he does that. It's a little bit convicting, isn't it? I'm going to conclude this message with this, because I'm probably longer than I should be, but that's okay. The story is told of a town in which a saloon was being built. The members of the local church opposed this, and the congregation got stirred up for an all-night prayer meeting. Later in the week, lightning struck the saloon and it burned to the ground. The owner of the saloon brought a lawsuit against the church, claiming that they were responsible. So the Christians hired a lawyer, probably Jay Seklow, who claimed that they were not responsible. The judge said, no matter how I decide this case, one thing has become very clear to me. The owner of the saloon believes in prayer, and these Christians do not. Now, that's kind of comical, but think about it. Sometimes I believe there's people that believe in prayer more than we do, and we're the ones that should believe in it the most. Because you'll have unsaved people tell you that they've been praying. Oh, I, I pray to God all the time. Oh, wow, really? That makes you a little bit nervous sometimes. So here we, we have it. It's like, man, I want to know that I believe that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. And then I want to acknowledge when he does what he said he would do. 
when I ask him for something and he does that, I want to be sure to give thanks for that and point it back to who it belongs to. When I get prayers answered, I know who they belong to. They belong to the Lord, and he's the one I would boast on in those things. But sometimes you wonder as a pastor, do we actually believe in prayer? And here's a, a statement that I found. I can't remember where I found it, so I apologize to whoever actually made this statement first. I am definitely plagiarizing it. When you rise from prayer, do you have any sense that the world is now different because you have just spoken to the King of Kings? And if Jesus came back today, will he find praying and persevering in faith in our midst? I have an example of this. Someone that I know that continually prayed. They just kept praying for something. There's a young boy, and I know him and I know his mother well. Knew his mother well. His mother's no longer with us. But his entire adult life, he never was in church. He'd visit Christmas, Easter, but he was never in church. And I know that this mother prayed for him. Over 30 years, she prayed. And one Sunday, about two years after she had passed away and gone on to be with the Lord, I'm standing up here on the pulpit, at the podium up here singing a song, and I look back, and that young man's sitting right there in the back row, almost where Edwin's at right now. And I went, wow, that's interesting that he's here. And eight weeks later, he kept showing up. He kept being back there. He kept being back there. And I remember going to him, and it, it happens to be that the lady, the, the woman was my mother. And the boy was my middle brother, Martin. And I remember going back and saying, what are you, why are you here? Really, I just said it just like that. Why are you here? What, what, why did you come? Did Dad encourage you to come? I mean, why? He said, nah, I just woke up that one Sunday morning and said, I'm going to church today. Huh. You mean no evangelist came to visit you? Your dad, your uncle, your brother, we didn't call you up and say, boy, you need to be in church. No, but there was a mom that had been praying. And he said, I don't know, Larry. I just woke up that morning and said, I've got to go to church. And if I'm going to church, I'm going to Valley. So I've been coming. I said, I noticed it. I know you have been. And I decided to stay out of God's way because he was working in your life. There's no reason for me to even talk to you. He was already talking to you. Why would I interrupt? Sometimes you've got to know when God's working and stay out of the way. But I'll tell you what, that was probably, I'd say about four years ago that he started showing up. And he kept showing up. And he moved to Idaho. I still haven't forgiven him for doing that, but he's moved to Idaho. And this morning, he taught Sunday school at a church in Idaho. Because he had a mom and a dad, and they kept praying, and they did not give up. They did not give up. And I remember my dad saying, oh, son, I wish your mom was here to see him. And God gave me the words quickly. 
Oh, Dad, she's seen it from a whole lot better angle than us. And she is, guess what she's discovering? He said that we will learn of his mercy and grace in the ages to come. My mom is in his presence, and she's watching his grace and his mercy at work in a boy that she prayed for for 30 years. I believe that when we ask, God goes to work. He is the just judge. I would just encourage you, don't give up. Whatever you're praying for, there's an answer coming. It may not come in your time, but God is never late in his time. And he will do what you're asking. He will answer it. Don't give up. Father, we thank you this morning for your word and the truth of it. I thank you that uh, your own son warned us. He warned us there. Jesus Christ saying, oh, you ought to be praying at all times. And don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't faint. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us that. I thank you that you hear us when we call. And you have, you're a God that says, when you're in distress, my loving kindness will endure forever. I will deliver you. I will deliver you. Thank you for being a delivering God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.